With the original Knights of the Old Republic game proving an enormous success for Lucasfilm, a sequel was hastily produced, returning players to the galaxy in the aftermath of the events of the first game. That game was of course Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords, and we're going to talk about it today. You're listening to Legends Library from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Legends Library from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast, the only library in the galaxy that positively encourages chit-chat. I'm your host, Johnny Maynor, and I'm very pleased to welcome back again this week the formidable duo of KOTOR lore masters that is Brian and Cassia from the Old Republic Podcast. Brian and Cassia, hello again. Hello, Johnny. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having us fantastic it's good to talk to you again um so let's get into this one and, and give the folks listening some context we're talking about knights of the old republic 2 the sith lords developed and released in something of a rush arriving late in 2004 uh, so little more than a year after the first game the developer here wasn't bioware but obsidian entertainment and was produced by chris parker and written by Chris Avalone. Uh, in gameplay terms, it employs pretty much the same mechanics as its predecessor and even recycles some locations and maps. Uh, in terms of timeline, uh, it takes place some five years after the events of the first game. So we're still more or less within sort of a, a half a century or so of the events of the Great Sith War, the fallen redemption of Kulik Aldrama, that Tales of the Jedi stuff. Uh, and the game features some returning characters, but mostly a, a cast of new faces. The early plot sees the player adopt the role of the Exile, a Jedi exiled from the Order for her actions while following Revan during the Mandalorian Wars, a reminder that's the war that Revan and Malak fought as Jedi before the events of the first game. Uh, in the five years that has elapsed since Revan's redemption in the first game, the Jedi Order has been almost completely wiped out by the Sith. Playing as the Exile, the player begins their journey waking up on an asteroid mining colony. Uh, the Exile is aided by early companions such as uh, Astro Droid T3M4, uh, who's always handy for slicing your way through uh, the occasional locked door, etc. And the mysterious Kreia, uh, who helps the player rebuild their connection to the force uh, eventually the exile finds that one of the jedi council members who, who exiled them atris uh atris gives them a mission to seek out remaining jedi scattered throughout the galaxy though the exile and atris whose efforts uh, to defeat the sith are a little unconventional seem to be on a fresh collision course uh, additionally the game introduces not one not two but three sith lords uh, Darth Sion, who is an undead Sith Lord who followed Exar Kun in, in the Sith War. The wraith-like Darth Nihilus, uh, who's hungry for the life force of pretty much the whole galaxy. Uh, and the mysterious Darth Treya, who's unseen for most of the story. That feels like quite there's quite a lot going on there, folks. Um, so com compared to the, sort of, to the fairly paired back and sort of easy entry point into the narrative of the first game... Um, I was trying to sort of get that down in a few paragraphs earlier today, and there's a lot to it. Mm -hmm. um, but let's have your sort of spoiler-free headline thoughts, first of all. Um, do you enjoy this game as much as the first game? And if not, 
are, are there at least some things that without necessarily getting into specifics are there some things that you think this maybe does better or is it just not as good as the first game well when i was playing this i think in like 2004 or maybe 2005 um there were some bugs and it was a little bit shorter than kotor 1 but mm. as i kind of played kotor 2 a bit more it really grew on me over time and i think that was kind of the consensus with um the fan community um because at first when kotor 2 came out uh people are like oh it's buggy it's it's very very philosophical it's way different than kotor 1 and it's shorter but mm. i think the game has strengths um in in the very philosophical and analytical story uh that was written mm -hmm. what about you brian yeah definitely um i i agree with a lot of that so i would have played this probably for the first time in probably 2006 ish probably five mm -hmm. six something like that um so at the time i would have been kind of in my mid-20s so i couldn't imagine playing knights of the old republic 2 as like a kid as like a 12 year old kid, uh -huh. like, you got to be, you know, kind of kind of going through this sort of like, what are these people even talking about? So um, do I like it as much as the first game, I guess, was was the question here. Um, yes and no. I, I, I prefer Knights of the Old Republic one, but as I'm so kind of familiar with that and I'm a little bit less so with KOTOR 2, um, now I kind of almost prefer it in the sense that every time I play it, uh, there's a lot more I can take out of it. Um, you know, I still get things out of KOTOR 1 when I play through that, but if I'm playing through KOTOR 2, there's there's a lot more kind of story elements to it. There's a lot more kind of understanding of these characters, and I enjoy that from like a purely like academic sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, so on on one side, KOTOR, I think, is is a better game. It's it's easier to play. The story is more straightforward, uh, but KOTOR 2 leaves a lot of you know, a kind of digging and philosophy you can get into. So there are definitely some things to take away from KOTOR 2 um, from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah, th th that rings true for me. I mean, KOTOR 2, and I've, I've just played it through the once uh, and this year for the first time. Um, I think I did try to play it on PC around about 2015, shortly after I'd played the first game. But at that stage of my life, I, I had um, a, a young a young child it was sort of my son was around one year old at the time and the idea of sitting in my home office for extended periods of time in front of a desktop computer just did not fly yeah. you know mm -hmm. I, I had other stuff going on so so i i, I don't I, I think i just about reached the paragus mining facility on that attempted playthrough and just couldn't find the time to, to, to go any further so this mm -hmm. year i finally played the whole thing on switch and um i i, I very much enjoyed it and I found the story both frustrating, uh, but also I could tell that there are real riches within it. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the, the thematics of it and maybe some of the more sort of philosophical stuff that that's going on in there. Uh, but we'll probably get more into the specifics of that as we go. Uh, but let's dig a little deeper. Um, as with its predecessors, there are sort of multiple ways to play through and finish this game. Uh, the canonical version, I'm doing my air quotes again, the canonical version of the story is experienced by playing as a female protagonist who leans towards and finishes the game on the light side of the force. Uh, and I guess that's the version that I'd like to focus on again, although we might name check a few elements from alternate paths along the way. We'll, we'll see what happens. 
Um, I mean, now, now while the game is remarkably similar to the original, there are a few differences in how the choices you make affect the story as you progress. Um, could one of you maybe tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Um, yeah. So, so it's kind of it's very similar in the fact that yeah, you're making. Uh, you know, kind of your your player character, similar to the way you did the first uh, go around in the original Kotor, a same kind of same kind of class system and things like that. But this game, it really kind of digs a little bit deeper in terms of that kind of light side and dark side meter, where they're going to kind of affect the story elements a little bit more so than they do in the first game. You know, there are some thematic elements that change in Kotor one, but Kotor two is going to kind of change um, the way that basically all of your interactions are going uh, with, you know, the different uh, crewmates you pick up along the way, whether you're, you know, gaining favor or uh, losing favor uh, with people, depending on, you know, the choices you make, the uh, companions that you go with. And, you know, from that standpoint, that's, that's very complicated. So that is, you know, mm, kind of, kind of yeah. kudos to the, to the team here at Obsidian for putting that together on kind of the, the time crunch that they were in. Um, and to that end, then the game becomes really interesting because you have, um, kind of these these situations where you know characters uh may turn for example um not going to get into into huge spoilers here but you have some characters that have the possibility to go on and be like your jedi apprentice you know for example um but that only happens depending on kind of you know the way you've played the game how much or how little light side or dark side points that you have um so stuff like that is is really kind of interesting and it you know takes what got started in the first one kind of with these branching paths but it just kind of expands it um you know almost yeah. tenfold um and you know on one hand maybe maybe you say they you know bit off a little bit more than they could chew but you know the time crunch it's it's really impressive the system that they were able to to put in place um and therefore you know all of the characters that we're going to talk about here um in just a couple of minutes have these really really rich backstories which is one of yeah. the key takeaways that i have from kotor 2 yeah it, it's a really interesting um refinement or sort of additional sophistication of the on the original system that it's not just about you as the player gaining light side or dark side points and sliding one way or the other on that spectrum but there's this extra factor of influence that you have with, with each of your companions that they're reacting to what you do in specific ways as well and you behaving in a certain way uh, that might be heading towards the light side you might lose influence over certain members of your of your companion set um or, or vice versa uh, which is fascinating it's so whether or not you want to head towards the light of the dark side uh of that spectrum is just one one of a couple of different competing priorities in a way almost you know mm -hmm. you're also factoring in what other people in the crew think of that choice definitely and uh one of the key things that kotor 2 does really well um, in comparison to the first game. And we talked a little bit about it in that conversation, um, but it does a better job of kind of almost forcing the player's hand a little bit to take different companions out in certain situations. Uh, and therefore mm -hmm. you're getting more of the story uh, because if you're anything like me, you're going to go the easiest route possible and just throw a couple of Jedi in your party because that's the easiest way to mm -hmm. play the game and do the combat in. But it kind of it kind of forces your hand and makes you play, you know, certain sections of the game with certain characters. So you're getting those story beats. And I think that it does a really good job of, you know, kind of kind of rounding out the story in that way a little bit, too. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. There are some of the companions who very much have their own stories and you are forced to take them on particular stretches. 
Um, uh, uh, when we talk about specifics later, but things like Visa Smar and what happens with Dorothan Dorothan Nahalis, for example, you know, there there are certain companions uh, who do get their they have very nice story arcs because of that, you know. Um, okay, so so there are some nice tweaks here, but the game does, as we said, bear the marks of having been somewhat rushed as a sequel, and whether that's the overuse of certain locations or recycling locations or maps from the first game. What are the things that stick out to you in that regard, Cassia? Well, I'm just kind of remembering which locations we visit um, that we saw in the first game as well. Dantooine, we get mm-hmm. to see uh, the Jedi Enclave that was uh, kind of Death Starred, you know, 4,000. Uh, BCE, you know, by Malik, mm-hmm. and get to see the uh, possible rebuilding uh, of that on Dantooine, and we get to see Korriban as well, and yeah. uh, it's kind of just even more empty, more like a tomb, you know, and yeah. It is, yeah, I guess some people could be like, oh, they just reuse locations, but it's kind of like you get to see, like, what happened as a result of uh, KOTOR 1 and even, like, you could say the Mandalorian Wars, like, to the yeah. to the light and the dark side, like, the Jedi and Sith aren't really thriving. Um, and uh I guess, like, what, uh, are you wondering, like, what I think about the uh, new locations as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, so you start the game on Paragus, and it's, it's scary, because um, you, you feel like you're being watched, you're, you're not a maxed out Jedi, you know, like, you barely have armor, like, you kind of just start the game in like your pajamas and you're kind of going around uh and you don't know where the people are some old ladies talking to you and you think she's dead but then she just gets up in the morgue and you're like ah like it (laughs) it feels very like horror like yeah as much as star wars can get into that and then you go to telos and uh kind of crash land there and Atris is like uh you're gonna do this for me because <laughs> you're going to because I demand mm. it um but we we make yeah. lots of jokes about Atris like having pumpkin spice lattes and being a Karen so <laughs> I, I I feel attacked because I love my pumpkin spice lattes but I I know I Same. know I, I'm, I'm basic <laughs> I'm basic um but yeah, yeah. Actress is yeah she she's she's like the head girl you know in school um or mm-hmm. the sort of sort of prim and proper prefect um and uh, as all as often as the case with those characters um all all is not as it seems on, on the surface necessarily um what mm-hmm. one thing that stuck out to me early on in the game um before we even get down to the surface of Telos is this what felt like a very long stretch on that space station above Telos, um, mm-hmm. which which sort of 
is, is slightly analogous, I think, to the Terrace section in the first game, which just seems to go on forever. I felt like I mm-hmm. ran up and down and across and that that space station for hours and hours and hours doing fetch quests and all sorts of stuff. I and honestly I, I can't even remember what all the quests were. I just felt <laughs> like I was continuously running the length and breadth of that space station facility before I could even mm-hmm. get onto the the surface of the planet and sort of get the rest of the story going. And to to my mind, that sort of after after the first few hours it was started to feel like, okay, this is starting to feel very they've rushed the sequel out. Yeah, yeah, and sort of even that sort of felt like a rushed sequel kind of vibe. It's like, okay, we're spending a lot of time in this location, guys. You're reading, you're squeezing this location for as much value as you can, you know? (laughs) Right? Um, Yeah, because can we move on? Yeah, because you get there and you're on Paragus in the game. You know, starts pretty quick. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of at this quick pace, you're getting a lot of story elements, and then yeah, you get to was a Citadel station there uh, above yeah. Telos, and it kind of kind of slows slows to a halt. Slows almost. way but, uh... down. <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't remember from my various game saves sort of how many hours in I was I was before I got off it and onto the surface of Telos, but I felt like it was a loss. I, I you know I, I can imagine I was easily six seven hours on that station. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, I guess one, one of the other things that jumped out to me is sort of maybe an indication of, I guess, sort of the slightly rushed schedule and, and reusing locations um, is the fact that the narrative makes you revisit certain locations as well. So you're mm-hmm. kind of, re- mm-hmm. they get recycled within the game as well. Things like Onderon um, and the, the Moon Duxon, uh, which I loved seeing actually, because uh, as you know, I'm, I love those Tales of the Jedi comics. And we, we first yeah. saw them, we, we first saw those locations there. Um, but I think what, what's interesting, something you said there, Cassie, is, is sparked a new thought in my brain, which is in you know, some sort of Korriban and Dantooine and seeing the consequences uh, of, of sort of the, the earlier narrative in the, in the first game. Yes, we're recy- they're recycling locations both from the first game and within this game, but they're doing it in in narratively interesting ways. I think it, it, it perhaps it's it's quite easy and maybe maybe too facile to sort of point and say, oh, you're reusing these locations because you're tight on time and you've got the assets, so why not? But actually, the narrative works. It it you know it it makes for an interesting narrative choice to to do that. So so. While there might have been sort of commercial and logistical realities, and I don't know for sure, but you know there might have been the drivers behind the scenes that made them recycle those bits and pieces, it still works quite well actually, um, and it's mm-hmm. quite nice to revisit. It's, it's certainly quite nice to revisit um, Dantooine and Korriban, um, or, or those sort of partial bits of the original maps that that we get there. Um, th- there is one large location here, w- which is I don't think you're not forced to revisit it during the course of the narrative. And, and that's Nar Shada. Did either of you enjoy Nar Shada? You know what? I, I did. It 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 does kind of fill that Coruscant Terrace, like the whole planet's a city kind of a shtick, but I thought how it was handled was interesting. It's kind of like it's it's not just like um, Coruscant's lower levels. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the whole planet is kind of just like you know, like maybe if you were on the Ebon Hawk, you'd be like, I'm just gonna maybe lock my doors while we're driving through here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And 
you get to see like how this is kind of the whole story of KOTOR 2 and um, as, as I've gotten older um, I kind of like noticed this but like KOTOR 2 is kind of all about consequences no matter where you are like uh, the exile and their actions that they took to try to end the war you know on Malachor 5 mm -hmm. that really affected the whole galaxy and uh i think they're grappling with it and you see that uh on every world you visit the yeah. the people living there are grappling with it your companions are grappling with it your allies your enemies are grappling with it the jedi and sith so yeah yeah absolutely um I want to get on and talk about your companions and, and then the ways in which maybe they're they're that they're grappling with things. Before we go any further, it's probably time to give folks a spoiler warning so so that we can have a fulsome chat about all the various characters. Um, because I, I, there may not be plot twists in here that are sort of on the same scale and sort of the, the, the as the um the big twists in in the first game, but there are some. Um, so so inver in in invariably. We will touch on some big story moments uh, and spoilers, both for this game and its predecessor. So if you haven't played these games, either prepare to be spoiled or enlightened or once again, get thee to a Switch or a PC or a wheezing Xbox or, or, or wherever you can get a hold of the games and have a good time and then come back. Um, so yes, now that those folk have gone, it's just us squirrel friends. <laughs> um, before we look at any of the new characters... Let's take a look at who's returning from the first game um, and see what they're up to. So um, who have we got coming back, Brian? Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got the pair of droids coming back. Uh, one, uh, we're going to start the game out playing as T3M4, who uh, is there charged with uh, getting the Ebon Hawk to that uh, Paragus mining station that we, uh, you know, kind of first first started. So that's that's kind of interesting to start up, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the the sequel to this, uh, you know, very very highly thought of, you know, the sold tons of copies and you're starting up playing as t3m4 i love that myself uh to be honest so mm. you've got uh, t3 coming back um you've also got hk coming back hk47 um uh kind of an interesting story though because uh hk47 is almost a fetch quest kind of within the game mm. um as you're as you're collecting uh parts of hk47 who has uh uh been uh destructed and you know his pieces uh scattered to the winds but you know the heart of hk47 still resides on the ebon hawk which is which is i guess kind of another uh returning character almost in a way right we're uh, still yeah. flying around on yeah. the ebon hawk for sure so uh you've got the pair of droids there um and then uh Candorous ordo is our other returning character uh but we're not going to be seeing Candorous ordo um as uh Candorous, right he's going to be back as uh the mandalore uh there mm. so when we're getting to uh you know duxon uh, we're gonna gonna meet up with him and uh realize that it's uh you know candorous from the first game so that's pretty great so we got the we got the pair of droids and we've got our mandalorian friend back to help us on this adventure yeah absolutely uh cassia last time we spoke when we spoke about candorous um you were saying that you thought maybe he was a more interesting character this time around in the second game yeah because i feel like he has more of a a, a personal uh, he has more personal and 
callings i think in the second Mm. game he's trying to preserve the mandalorians gather them and uh kind of help them uh for the coming wars the future uh prepare them for that and in the first one it's kind of just like i need your help to get off of terrace and then it's just he's like oh whatever i have free rent here i guess i'll stay with you guys so yeah yeah the, 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 there's definitely the, there's more nobility to him here and he's really embracing that role as the leader of the mandalore the mandalorian clans and trying to unite the clans and, and, and make them strong again after everything that has happened um i think which makes for a much more compelling character basically um he's not just bumming a lift um yeah he he didn't just bum a lift he made himself useful from time to time with a blaster in in the first game but um yeah it's a slightly more interesting setup when we come across him and the the mandalorian encampment on on duxon for sure Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Interesting what you said there, Brian, about uh, starting off the game with uh, T3M4. Uh, it, that sparked an, another new thought, and it, this hadn't occurred to me at all before, but um, it, it's almost very a new hope, this kind of this, this idea of sort of starting in media res, but focusing on a droid mm-hmm. for, the, for the first, you know, half an hour or so of, of gameplay. Right. Um, I, I, I get the sense that sort of George Lucas would approve of that sort of thing. Um, it, it, it it is an interesting way to, to get back into it. And um, you, you spent the first, sort of, I don't know, for me, it was probably about half an hour or so pottering around the Ebon Hawk and going out onto the hull of the Ebon Hawk, trying to fix the ship and everything mm-hmm. before you before you even get to the Paragus mining facility and sort of then get to play a, a, as the exile waking up. It's a really, it's a really neat little start. Yeah, and there's a there's a couple of instances within the game then that you are uh, controlling T3M4 as well, kind of on these little uh, mm. missions to get in and unlock certain things that the rest of the party can can go through. So I think that uh, T3 is, um, you know, as as interesting as T3 is going to get here in uh, Kotor too, uh, gives them a lot <laughs> yeah. of a lot of agency in the story. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about the new companion then, Brian? You mentioned last time that the player's story as Revan was sort of on pause for for stretches of the game, uh, as the various side quests, etc., really explored the stories of the companions aboard the Ebon Hawk. Mm-hmm. I mean, here it feels a bit different. It feels more like the exile's emotional journey is gradually revealed through her interactions with some of these new companions. I mean, many of whom seem to present mirrors for her or who represent different aspects of her past and her character. Um, and a part of that, I think, is maybe sort of the consequence of this dynamic with it's not only the, the light side, dark side spectrum, but you've got to factor in influence and sort of the, the dynamics with these characters become really important. But let's talk about some of these folks. Uh, we'll do it like last time. We'll start picking some favorites and uh, and see what happens. Um, Cassia, have you got any particular favorites that percolate up? Um, I think I really enjoyed Veodur the most. Um, okay. Who is yep. the Athorian general? Uh, he has a really cool. Um, I was gonna say bionic arm, but is that the right term? It's it's like a it's like a laser. It's really cool. Yeah, it, it's almost it almost looks like there is like a, there's definitely a glove part. I'm struggling to remember the graphics now. There's definitely a sort of metal robotic glove part, but it seems to be connected to his shoulder by almost like a a coupler beam, like the thing that holds mm-hmm. the pod racing engines engines together. Right? It's that kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. So he, he he's a Zabrat from Iridonia, right? Uh, yes. I mm-hmm. I believe yeah. 
that's why he ended up joining the Mandalorian Wars is because they were um, fighting. The Mandalorians were trying to fight uh, his home world, and he's like, I I don't stand for this. So he joined the Mandalorian Wars, and he yeah. always calls the exiled general. Um, yes. So because they... he he recognizes her from the war, um, although she doesn't recognize him initially. He 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 actually has this backstory where he he was pretty central to uh, the sort of cataclysmic action that the that, that the exile took at Malachor Five, right? Yeah, we we mm. kind of joke on our podcast. He's like the the Oppenheimer. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so, so he's basically responsible for for creating um, the mass shadow generator. I think it was called, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Was, he has a lot, he has a lot to lots of work through there. You know, uh, creating that uh, that weapon for sure. Um, and yeah, you bring up a, a good point, Johnny. I'll get into a character uh, here real quick. But kind of in in the first game, you know, all these all these companions are kind of coming together. But uh, these companions here all really have some sort of you know connection. Uh, to the exile in some sort of way, and mm. uh, and yeah, so then her uh, story is very much being played out in kind of the way that uh, you know her you know backstory with each of these characters um, and instances uh, would have you know played out. So uh, let's get back mm. to the companions here. I'll uh, I'll choose that and Rand. Let's talk about out and Rand. So uh, he is a, a pilot, a smuggler, uh, kind of sort of thing, basically uh, Han Solo. Uh, <laughs> wannabe stand-in for Han Solo there. Uh, yeah. We meet him on the uh, Paragus mining facility. He's already locked up like behind bars and you free him and he kind of helps you uh, out there through the way. Uh, we talked about in the first episode that uh, not really big fans of playing Pazak uh, side games. Uh, that's all Atten wants to do all the time um, is yeah. play Pazak, <laughs> which is which is pretty fun, I guess. But, I <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I didn't spend much time talking to him <laughs> on, on that one playthrough that I had. He, he was kind of a bit of a blank slate to me, and maybe that's because I just didn't play Pazak with him, so I never broke through it. I never gained much influence with him, so... Um, he just, he just I, wanted I to break the ice. Reading, yeah, <laughs> I believe from reading Wikipedia that actually it is possible to train him as a Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was news to me. Um, I, yeah, I, second time ride, I'll... I'll spend. I'll, I'll invest a bit more time in poor Atten and and then see how we get on. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah Atten, Atten's an interesting character, and um, this is going to kind of be a blanket statement here for all of the characters is that they all have really, really deep and rich backstories if you're willing to spend the time, um, yeah. and and getting to know these characters, which um is interesting and fun. Like I said, kind of at the top from an academic standpoint, but um, it is, it can, it can be a little bit of a hurdle. Um, and there's a lot of kind of talking and puzzles uh, through some of these characters mm-hmm. that, you know, might, might be a little bit to get through, but if you put in, put in the time, you're going to get a lot of really great stories and, you know, all these characters, we could uh, talk a super long time kind of about their backstories and we're just trying to get through these pretty quick, but yeah, Atten's, Atten's pretty fun. He's going to fly the Ebon Hawk for us, which is useful and that's good. Yeah, he has a cool vest yeah. as well. Like <laughs> he crashes a lot, which isn't great for your pilot, I gotta yeah. say. But <laughs> but he has a cool vest, Brian. So like he does. That's that. true. Yeah, he yeah. Like Atten's story is a little all over the place. Like I don't know if I love the character as me- much as many other people do, but mm. um, I think he he does have his fans, and I think like if you're playing a female exile, it's definitely the most popular romance so you see i didn't even get anywhere near a romance 
I was playing as a female exile, and <laughs> I, was, I was reading on Wikipedia. Oh, what there was meant to be a romance. I yeah, I didn't get anywhere near that. Um, I, I'm clearly really bad at flirting, even in an RPG. Um, so uh, who else? I, you know, I really liked Visas Mar mm-hmm. actually, the, the the Mira Luca character. I mean, I've always I love Mira Luca uh, as a species. They they've been rocking around again since those Tales of the Jedi comics. Um, the the species of force sensitive folk who who basically see through the force, so that they don't either they don't use their eyes or they don't have eyes. Their eyes are always covered, or there's always a covering over the part of their face where they would have eyes. Um, and and she initially rocks up as an antagonist. Uh, she she's I think she's knocked everybody out on on the ship, and when you return to the ship. Um, you end up fighting her, uh, but then she, if if you spare her, she she joins the crew. Um, so she's there as this kind of ha- shadow hands. Is that is that the terminology of Darth Nihilus? Yeah, she's basically, sort of mm-hmm. Darth Nihilus's right hand, um, sent to to seek out this um this new disturbance in the Force. Um, but sort of having spared her, um, she decides to tag along, and I guess you can influence her one way or the other in terms of how her journey is going to turn out. But I find that quite satisfying, and her a quite satisfying character, not least because she gets that nice arc all the way through to some of the moments nearer the end of the game with the confrontations with with Darth with Darth Nihilus, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she definitely gets a little bit more kind of closure and a full story arc here. Um, in the game, which is uh, nice for uh, one of these uh, side companion characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, who else have we got? Okay, I mean, we never go in order. Um, okay, so I'm just checking it off, looking at it. We talked about and we talked about Beodor, Thesis. Uh, yeah, great character. Um, and I think a lot of people, if they're playing male exile, preferred. Um, the visus uh romance option you know um oh was that an option if you're the male if you're male exile yeah okay i mean it, yeah. it's kind of more just like flirty flirt like implied okay. longing uh because i yeah. think like they were planning on saving like the love story like culminations for like kotor 3 and then that never happened but um okay <laughs> before we go down that path i guess um uh i guess like uh kind of because we're talking about different paths um if you are a female exile uh mccall i always call him michael or or Mm. he's also known as the disciple uh yeah mccall will join your group if you're a female protagonist and he kind of reminds me a little bit of anakin slash luke in a way Mm -hmm. um because we've Brian and I have kind of talked about this, like uh, McCall kind of puts the exile on a pedestal, you know, like uh, yeah, and he's a bit younger than her, and so I'm like, oh, I'm kind of getting like Anakin Padme. Yeah, there. yeah, he's so. very. He, my overriding impression of McCall is just he's really earnest. He's just a really earnest good boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and the the alternative to Mikhail, I, I believe, is Brianna. So if you're playing as a male exile, um, you're accompanied by one of the handmaidens from Telos, um, who's called Brianna. Again, that, that was news to me, having read the Wikipedia articles, because I, I've only played this through once. Um, have either of you 
played through and, and met Brianna? Um, so yeah. I've played through the game several times, uh, but I've only ever played as a, a female exile. So mm. uh, my story with uh, Brianna is uh, basically uh, kind of kind of the same as yours, Johnny. It's uh, been to what I've read and kind of some playthroughs that yeah. I've talked about. <laughs> um, Brianna's an interesting uh, character here in the game. Um, you know, she's one of the handmaidens uh, of Atris, who we're going to talk about here um, in just a second. And basically, she gets sent along on the party uh, just at the at the whim of Atris as as almost kind of like a not like a not like a spy necessarily because obviously you know that she's there but just to kind of keep an eye on the exile see what we're getting up to and uh to report back to Atris. so kind of her uh placement uh within the party is is kind of interesting but then i think she has you know kind of this neat kind of story arc that that unfolds as you kind of play through the game and she's uh gains a little bit of uh self-confidence gets out from underneath the thumb mm. of Atris a little bit so yeah yeah i'll tell you a character who stuck out to me and i I would assume that she was a fan favorite at the time, but I don't. I don't know, having not played the game at the time. But Mira, the bounty hunter, um, she she seems pretty cool. She is uh, fairly sort of self sufficient, self reliant uh, female bounty hunter that we encounter, I think, on Nar Shada, and yeah. and she's got this whole backstory with um, uh, a vengeful Wookie, Han Har, who. If, if, tell me if I'm remembering this right. Hanhar actually owes her a life debt, and he's so annoyed at this, he's trying to kill her. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of yep. like the comic Spy versus Spy in my mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're both bounty hunters. Um, and, and again, this is something I learned having read the Wikipedia articles. If you're playing light side, Mira becomes your companion, but if you're playing dark side, Hanhar becomes your companion. Um uh, so either of you ever played Dark Side and had Hanhar along for the ride? I think like some playthroughs just to kind of see what happens, but mm-hmm. uh, Mira is just like uh, someone who speaks basic and seems to have a little bit more of a story going on. Hanhar I, has some interesting beats, you know, uh, but mm. I just think like Mira is more complex and uh, I think, like, I kind of, um, where I said, like, Atten's story kind of seems all over the place. If you look at his backstory, like, yeah. Mira, like, has a, a a backstory that kind of, you could say it's all over the place, but kind of makes more sense uh, thematically, yeah. I think. Um, so I always just preferred having Mira in the group. And I think some players, like, they would be, like, I'm just going to stay neutral until I get to Narshada so I can have Mira in the group and then go dark side. Oh. Mm. Yeah, and uh, gameplay-wise, Mira is very useful because she can pick up all the landmines, uh, which is a yeah. nice, uh, little skill to have. Uh, but yeah, they're very much kind of the kind of the flip side of the coin, and obviously they're tied together uh, by that life debt, and it's it's you know interesting from that stance and then you know depending on which uh course you're going down whether mira or hanhar uh end up joining the party but i I think kind of the the dialogue tree and kind of the the story elements you get from mira are more interesting uh than hanhar's Mm. i do believe so yeah yeah so who we got left we've got a droid and the mysterious kreia um let's all take goto um yeah that's (laughs) That's that's true. That is uh, Goto is uh, Cassia's companion when we did a uh, Kotor two companion, like one of those like ten question quizzes that you do. So. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> which is hilarious because I mm-hmm. think 
it's um it, like if goto were to be like a real a thing in the in the world like it would just be like i don't like goto goto doesn't like me and uh it's like why is he my companion but it would be kind of like the mirahan <laughs> har situation i think uh uh-huh. but- Goto, it is actually an interesting twist. Uh, you you totally are set up to think like Goto is a person, but Goto mm-hmm. is a droid, and he's like a droid that kind of like went. Droids don't really go insane, but he had the directive to help the Republic and not break its laws, and he's like, I can't do this, you know. So yeah, he became you know uh he, he basically becomes a crime lord yeah with, with with the ultimate objective of helping the republic but irregardless <laughs> of the legality of, of his actions um which is True. fascinating actually really really and you know and, and i guess you know thematically on point for this whole game yeah you know it, it, it's, it's that sort of counterpointing of ends and means yeah you know i don't think he mm-hmm. needed to join the party he could have just been uh maybe like an antagonist or like someone you have to ally yourself with like yeah um but i i never took him out on out of the ship no uh same yeah, yeah. never took yeah. him out yeah, and he he's just a little uh, little ball uh, floating around droid. We didn't even mention when we talked about Bayoder that he also has a little uh, droid that uh, companion uh, that follows him around too, which is which is pretty neat. Yeah, so. but Bowder's little remote droid looks more like sort of a like Luke's training remote from A New Hope. He's that that mm-hmm. kind of size, and you know, uh, Goto looks more like I guess an Imperial um, interrogation droid. He's that sort of, you know, imagine mm-hmm. one of those four four thousand years prior. Yeah, yep. I um, literally think they look the same. Like the the droid that tortures Darth, uh, not Darth Leia, um, Darth Leia, uh, Darth Princess Leia. Leia uh, <laughs> yes. In A New Hope, I'm like they were rushed there because they're like, um, it's this but bigger, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, and that leaves us. That leaves us with the with the big one. Uh, Kreia, that's the character that's going to mm-hmm. leave you scratching your head through the entire game, uh, pretty much. Um, you you wake up kind of at the at the very beginning of the game. Kreia's in your head, and Kreia's going to be in your head for the whole game. Uh, you don't really know yeah. uh, who she is, where she came from, but she kind of knows the answer to everything, but is very uh, uh, not very forthcoming on uh, telling you those things. Mm. And she's basically just going to second guess every decision you make. I uh, get like the yeah. the classic example there of uh, apathy is death i think when you get to right when you first get to narshada um and you're yeah. encountered with uh you know someone kind of begging on the streets and you can give them credits yes. or not and if you give them credits kreia yells at you and if you don't give them credits kreia yells at you so uh that's kind of how <laughs> you get set up for this yeah. game and then and then kreia is ultimately revealed to be uh darth treya but um you know the character of kreia uh, you know herself is is incredible she's incredibly well written it's it's incredibly like thought provoking you know what she's telling you mm. throughout this thing and uh kind of her motivations uh through the game for you know doing what she does and the way she's interacting with your companions and interacting uh you know with the exile Mitra Surik herself and uh stuff like that so yeah uh, Kreia you know a lot of people will point to Kreia as being one of the uh better written uh, Star Wars characters and mm. all of lore and uh, I am inclined to agree with that so yeah, yeah. She, she's fascinating and you're right she, she's right there at the heart of 
the, the thematics of this game um, and sort of the everything that's going on in, in terms of choices and consequences and making you think about this stuff and to degree making you second guess what 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 you're doing and that that is the perfect that, that it's it's encapsulated in that little encounter where you meet the beggar on Narshada and yeah you give him the credits and she says well you've given him this credit these these credits but now he's the sort of he's an object of jealousy for all these other beggars and uh, he's no way of defending himself and he's basically then you see him getting mugged <laughs> For, for the mm-hmm. money you've just given him, you know, and it's basically make you know, make for, forcing the player to think, okay, well, I'm I'm making these choices, I'm I'm doing these actions because I want the light side points, but there are consequences that are counter to my intention, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cray is constantly sort of pushing that idea that it's not black and white. Cray doesn't want the world to be black and white. She she's got a very different agenda. Um, so yeah, we've we've mentioned that that actually, Kreia is in, in in fact Darth Treya, and we'll come back I think to talk about the Sith Lords in a moment. Before we get to the triumvirate of Sith Lords, um, we have an, another antagonist of sorts in Itris, this this Jedi from the Exiles past who's trying to rebuild the Order in a sort of a, a rather unconventional way. I mean. In in some ways, her conflict with the players is sort of the more significant part of the exiles' emotional journey, and uh, sort of in terms of the backstory that they have together. Um, what did you make of her as a foil for the exile, um, Cassia? Yeah, I was kind of wondering uh, as I kind of looked over the script, and I was like, does Atris represent like what the exile could have been if they had stayed back from the war, like? just kind of become a council yes man or woman Mm. you know and i'm like i don't know if it was written that way but it is an intriguing like thought yeah it's interesting there is there is a sense in which atris sort of idealized and idolized um the exile before the exile then went off to to fight the Mandalorian Wars, and maybe Idris is kind of then determined to be the better Jedi. Sort of, she she's being goody two shoes because the Exile wasn't. You know, um, the Exile's yeah. choices may maybe in, informed the way that Idris turned out. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. um, I think like the male exile, there's a little bit of a hint that Atris kind of had a crush on a male exile. Okay. Like, with a female exile, I could still see that working, but um, yeah, it's just kind of like she's very Atris is very hurt by kind of being left behind. Uh, and she kind of reminds me of a Javert a bit. It's like. Mm. for her like she probably ends up doing the the wrong thing and i mean it kind of as we see in the story like she does like kind of fall to the dark side uh because she's just so extreme uh in her views of black and white that uh by her trying so hard to be on the light side she she kind of does the wrong thing yeah yeah what about you, Brian? How does Atris work for you? Yeah, I think Atris is a, a really good and really interesting kind of complex character. And I think it's it's 
fun in a way because um like i mentioned when we were going through kind of your your companion characters all of these characters have some sort of like indirect link uh, to Mitris or to the to the exile, um, but Atris has a more direct link, right? Atris is basically the one that uh, you know kicked you out of the Jedi Order in the first place and kind yeah. of sets this this uh, you know course of action uh, going. So it's it's really interesting um, from that standpoint. And then yeah, you get to see kind of what Cassio is you know talking about there, kind of her you know this this real kind of like ironclad grasp on on dogma is you know ultimately going to kind of lead to the downfall of it you know mm. or is she's trying to to rebuild the the jedi you know order not even necessarily like in her image but like in this like pristine image that she you know like idealizes i guess you know meanwhile yeah. uh you as the, as the character as you know the exile here are going around and you know trying to get all of the you know jedi council members like back together yeah. getting the band back together so um it, it's kind of interesting like the the duality of that but i i really like her inclusion just from the standpoint of you know really getting to explore you know kind of specifics of the the backstory of the character that you're yeah. playing pristine is is a very good word when, when it comes to atris um in terms of how she presents the visuals you know she's sort of dressed all in white she's got white hair um that that um so the enclave or the academy that she's built under under the polar ice caps on, on Telos Four, it's all very, very pristine icy. and yeah, yeah. you know mm -hmm. it, it 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 it's it looks cold and remote and icy but pristine and unsullied, um but it's you know it's not that Without it's all a facade but you know she's she, she's maybe focusing on she's focusing on all that to the detriment of, to the detriment of actually getting something meaningful done. Mm -hmm. And she has uh, all of her handmaidens who are, you know, the Achani there. They're all identical. They're all dressed the exact same kind of in her own yeah. uh, image, too. So there's a lot of yeah imagery there uh, within Atris and her story. So, yeah, it's yeah. a dark yeah. mimesis of Padme and her handmaidens. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Okay, so so that's Atrus. What about the Sith Lords then? You know, the, the headline big bads of the game really are are Darth Sion and Darth Nihilus, who Nihilus lends his mask to most of much of the promotional imagery for the game. Uh, and of course, we've got Darth Treya. The, the Treya is very much in the shadows throughout because it's actually Kreia. Um and that's a reveal for, for later on in the story. Um, before we get into it specifics on any of them how does this triumvirate of sith lords work for you guys brian um i really like kind of the idea here of having uh the sith triumvirate and you know that you know kind of all three of the parts are are leaning on another part really for um mm. you know and obviously that's kind of you know what a triumvirate is set up to do but um it really kind of plays in especially as you get you know further on in the game and you start to to learn of this uh darth, darth treya character and how you know really even you know within this triumvirate she's kind of pulling the strings but i think that it's interesting mm -hmm. um you know it kind of you know from a from a story uh telling standpoint to have you know kind of kind of three baddies here you know especially in in a time when we're thinking of you know the the sith of having you know the rule of two uh which was something that uh came into being a little bit later but i, I like the the triumvirate from that standpoint especially because then 
you know, for, you know, because video games, you have Darth Sion who kind of uh, chases you around throughout the game. You have Darth Nihilus who's kind of sitting up on his uh, his ship, which I'm uh, drawing a blank on on the name of, you know, he's, so he's kind of like the, the, like the destination, the Ravager. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, so he's kind of like the destination baddie. And then you have Darth yeah. Treya, who's kind of the one behind the scenes, who's going to be kind of this ultimate final uh, confrontation. So I think video game wise, it works very well as well. So. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Cassia? Yeah, I, I liked it that they tried something new rather than just like the rule of two or the rule of many. It's like you can have these, yeah, this triangle, you know. Um, I would say Kreia is maybe the brains, uh, Scion is the brawn, and then, yeah, I guess Nihilus <laughs> is Nihilus is the uh, cool Sith mask. Cool mask, dude, floating guy, no... Creepy guy. Body, yeah. So... (laughs) I enjoyed the idea of it, and and I think maybe just because I've only played it through the once, some of them felt a bit sort of underdeveloped to me. I I kind of felt like I didn't really get to know them very much, and I know you've mentioned earlier how it was very buggy when it was released, and you know I've, I've read elsewhere that there's content missing the story content that actually didn't make it and i kind of i felt like i was missing things as i got into the into the sort of the final acts of this uh and i was spending more time with and confronting the sith lords that i felt like i hadn't got to know them well enough and i it felt like maybe bits and pieces were missing um mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense yeah. yeah, definitely. There were a lot of uh, kind of story elements uh, within the game that were uh, missing upon launch and even missing now. Um, we do fortunately have like the restored content mod. So if you're playing this on on a computer on Steam, for example, that's it, a very like easy download onto your uh, Steam account to play the restored content, which helps with a lot of that story. Um, but but even still, I, I think it fleshes out a lot with Darth Sion. Um, but yeah. even but even with that to me um and I, this this might be like a <laughs> some, something bad to say about kotor 2 but darth nihilus just does not do it for me uh the story of darth nihilus he is real thin i think as a character i felt i felt that i felt that um okay well, let, let, let's talk about them individually then let, let's talk about let's take darth nihilus um he's this sort of wraith like um sith lord he's sort of He's he's mostly just robes and a mask, and sort of speaks in this kind of rasping, unintelligible voice. Um, so yeah, he, he's pretty creepy. That you know, there, there's a there's a presence there to the character. Um, is he anything beyond that for either of you, Brian? You, you you're not feeling it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not feeling it. I do I do think that Nihilus is interesting in the fact that um Visus Mar was uh, basically his uh, forced to be apprentice, and Visus Mar sees the world through the force and Darth Nihilus is uh has this hunger to deplete the force from the world. So I think that that kind of juxtaposition is really interesting and really neat. Um yeah. but yeah, I don't like I don't I don't know like the like the the purpose of getting to Darth Nihilus never really felt like as like big of a bad um as you know someone like uh, Malak in the first game, right? You have kind of all these yeah. these motivations for for going on and I just like it didn't ever really line up for me. Um, I think the the character design of Nihilus is is very cool. The the yeah. idea that you know someone has is able to you know people call him the 
planet eater, which is not really the case. He's just kind of eating the, you know, the the force of of planets mm-hmm. and and things like that. So I think that like the ideas of Nihilus are are really interesting. But I just I needed something more like within the game itself, yeah. maybe to kind of round them out a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what about you, Cassia? Yeah, yeah. With with Nihilus, it's it's a cool presentation. Uh, but there's no substance there, so I guess like yeah, it's a no for me. No, just kidding. Um, he's a cool Funko Pop, you know. If they yeah. haven't made that yeah. Funko Pop, what are you doing, Disney? Make it, you know. But yeah, um, I think like if it were to be an adaption, like a TV show or a movie, I would just need a little bit more something. Yeah, from Nihilus. So it, it's an interesting uh idea. I'm not in love with the execution, but I am aware that a lot of people are. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think my fundamental problem with him, uh, aside from sort of the, the sense that it was missing story beats or something around his character, w- w- was that if he is this sort of lord of hunger, and you said he's not really a planet eater, Brian, but you know he has this reputation, sort of this, this being who, 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 who hoovers up life force, you know, how, how can you just walk, walk into a room with a lightsaber and expect to take this guy down? <laughs> right. You know, I, you know I, and yet because of the game, because of the mechanic, it's got to boil down to a, a fight with this guy. Um, the, the mm-hmm. narrative doesn't present any other option. There's, there's no other denouement here to be had. It's it's still, we've got to get onto the Bridge of the Ravager <laughs> and, oh, Volcanderus is here and oh, we've got Visas here as well. We'll, we'll we'll take him on the three of us and we'll, we'll you know, we'll get him. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I like, I like that from, from that end that, you know, Visas is there to, to kind of go and, and confront him. I think that that's neat. But uh, for me, as far yeah. as the villains go, I, preferred Darcyon, and I think it's because you have multiple interactions with the character throughout the game but Nihilus is just like you said Johnny you just you you show up to fight him and that's that's kind of about yeah. it really as yeah. as far as that goes yeah. so maybe maybe like if there was another kind of interaction there or even like if you would have been on you know one of the one of the locations you were and you kind of chase him off or he sees you and leaves yeah. or, or something you know might have given a little bit um you know more reason for that but you know to that end that's kind of why uh, you know of the villains here i really kind of prefer darcyon i like the character i like kind of the the tragedy of of darcyon i like uh kind of this uh this visual imagery of you know that someone is you know so vengeful and has so much hatred that you know it's basically holding their dead and decaying body together to to keep pursuing the dark side so. yeah uh, yes, let, let, let's chat Sion. So his backstory is that he was uh, a fallen Jedi who followed Exar Kun during the, the Great Sith War. And uh, he died during the war, but basically fueled by pure hatred on the dark side, is able to sort of hold his decomposing flesh together. He's basically reanimated himself. He, he's sort of, so yeah. he is kind of undead. Um, so he's got this sort of grey look to him, sort of very with cracks on his face. Um, you know, I, I suspect maybe if if the game were made or remade now, um, the graphics may he, he probably should look more gross than he does in, in this yeah. game. Mm. Anyway, um, what do you make of him, Cassia? Yeah, it's it's interesting because he's just so fueled by the dark side, uh, and people on the dark side are just really scared to die they're not Mm. they don't want to let go of their power um they don't want to 
become one with the force. They don't want to change. Um, so Scion won't die. He's kind of like a yeah. zombie or Frankenstein, I guess, you know? Um, yeah. He does kind of have a little bit of like a romantic crush thing on a female exile, which is weird, but that's a detail that's there. And I'm like, that's interesting. I guess it kind of mirrors the the Atris exile thing as well. Um mm. but he's kind of more of the more of the villain you see more. Uh so like yeah. he's kind of like in season one of Avatar the the last airbender, like he's not the guy behind the scenes, the real big bad like Zhao. He's kind of like the season one Zuko no redemption arc yeah. you know, just kind of pursuing ang our exile so. yeah and, and i guess it, it, in this triumvirate he's kind of the brute force he's the brute you know the, the, this that lightsaber battle takes forever it, <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> it, i mean is it is maybe i've blanked it out it's just that he keeps coming back from the dead right you think you've got him and then he just keeps coming back it just keeps is coming back, it? and then you and then you have dialogue, yeah. and then you have a fight again. Yeah, it goes, it goes yeah. for a while. You're like my yeah, and you, and you sort of my 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 memory is that I'm okay I, for the first time in this game. I'm seriously in 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 danger of running out of med packs. I'm I'm seriously I'm getting seriously low on stuff, you know, and and I haven't even dealt with Treya yet. Um, so let's let's deal with with Treya, Darth Treya, Kreia. Um. Absolutely fascinating character, as we've said. The, the ultimate goal here seems to be not to um, see the galaxy ruled by the Sith or, or or anyone who is predisposed towards the dark side, but ultimately opposed to the idea of the Force itself, which which is fascinating. Um, how, how does Darth Treya in all of her glory, revealed in all of her glory, work for you guys? So kind of going back to when these games like kind of closer to when they came out i think a lot of people were just like oh it was the super obvious uh not even a twist you know it's like it's the it's the cranky yeah. grandmother's the big bad but i was like <laughs> yeah looking at um kotor 2 uh, it's not so much a twist it's more about self discovery and uh, dealing with loss and redemption throughout the story. And Kreia, I think, is just someone who has seen a lot of what the galaxy has to offer. Maybe they trained Revan if she's RNK, but that's a mystery, you know? But um, yeah, <laughs> she's been a jedi she's been a sith and they both didn't really work out for her and i think she's just someone who just kind of like she's kind of deprogrammed from being a jedi and being a sith and like finds like whether it's red team or blue team like she's like i i don't like this game what causes the game yeah it's the force and she just sees like the force it, like has a will of its own and like it won't let the people in the galaxy think for themselves so she's like i want to just subvert it all yeah which is a really interesting take on stuff actually it's kind of like 
um, for me, like, it would be so interesting just to see, like, Palpatine and Kreia have a conversation, like, because mm. even though they're, like, kind of, like, you, you've seen memes where it's, like, it was Palpatine all along, like, you could be, like, and it was Kreia all along, mm-hmm. you know, but they totally have different um, motivations, like, uh, Kreia doesn't want to rule the galaxy, you know, uh, so she's just a very different type of villain and she is voice acted so well and it would be cool to talk with the voice actress i think it's sarah kesselman one day uh Mm -hmm. but so many people nowadays are into philosophy you know because uh kraya got them thinking like you know when when they were younger or they discovered the the games like it has almost a 20 year heritage now, you know, so, um, so many people, it's like, it got them to think deeper and there's lots of great content creators, um, on YouTube and doing podcasts and stuff, talking about, uh, Kreia. Um, I love doo-doo films, uh, little videos, like music videos, I guess on Kreia, you know, and yeah, like, such a great character so i'll let you guys uh take it from here now <laughs> yeah as uh darth ray as you know kind of this uh this main sort of uh, antagonist here in this story i think works really well because if you distill kind of the um i guess kind of the the moral tale of knights of the old republic too it's it's really like a story about uh redemption and forgiveness and who is worthy of those things right are, are you worthy mm-hmm. of those things and and Kreia, you know the character you know really kind of you know pulls at that thread throughout the throughout the game right no matter if you're yeah like like we mentioned if you're doing good things or bad things you know she's still kind of kind of pulling at that thread you know poking you uh with that sort of thing so to that end i think the darth Rhea works really well because even kind of in this final uh confrontation where you know as we mentioned you know treya's kind of ultimate motivation here is to basically just rid you know the galaxy of of Jedi and and Sith just let well enough uh, be alone, and even you know kind of at the end she's saying you know even yeah. you know you can you can strike me down, but that still doesn't earn your redemption. You know what you did was bad, so yeah. so you you know you're not going to get it or 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 vice versa, right? Um, and I I really kind of kind of like that because you know Cassia definitely was just kind of hitting on it, but but Kotor too is um very different. You know Kotor one is this uh, is this hero's journey you're going on with uh Revan and friends upon the upon the Ebon Hawk, but this one is definitely much more of like a, a philosophical um yeah. experiment on you know the state of you and the galaxy and and how all of these pieces are intertwined. Um and yeah. to that I'll I'll like go back to the top it is incredible that they could do that story-wise uh in a year even with even with uh big yeah. missing chunks of it so absolutely i mean if the first kotor game is sort of popcorn cinema this is like black and white french art house movie you know <laughs> it's yeah. just it, it's got a completely different sensibility on underneath all the similarities in terms of the mechanics etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, it, it's a it is a very very different beast, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, something I read on, on Wikipedia while while prepping for this episode, what well, Chris Avalon, the writer, and and his take on on, on Kraya and how he sort of saw Kraya was he was sort of channeling into Kraya all of his own frustrations with 
the the limitations of the game and being forced the light side dark being forced the way that the game forces you to choose light or dark um he sort of ruled all of his frustrations with that sort of binary mechanic up into Korea um you know which which is interesting yeah it, it is so interesting because even though there's like a character in KOTOR 1 Jolie Bindo who uh kind of says he's like neutral you know uh and like there's no neutral option you know in KOTOR 2 really you have to choose light or dark and Cray is going to be yeah. like well that was really stupid that you did that like either way yeah uh, like <laughs> yeah I don't know what that voice was it really wasn't Kraya, but um... Sounded, I thought it was Kraya. I thought Kraya <laughs> hopped on the call yeah so it's like she was uh, here yeah it's it's kind of like apathy is death whichever choice you make is probably going to be wrong you know but mm-hmm. you have to make a choice. Yeah, fantastic. Before we move on to final thoughts, then, is there anything that we've missed that we really ought to talk about, whether for the benefit of folk listening who who don't know the game or, or just something that you think deserves highlighting that we haven't mentioned? Um, we haven't mentioned that uh, clunky swoop racing is back, right? Yeah, it's even clunkier. No, just kidding. Yeah. It's it is back. It is uh, even even clunkier. I think I played. I think I played it once just to verify mm. that it was still clunky as all get out, and then yeah. left it at that. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. you don't actually have to do any swoop racing uh, this time around. You do have to do the first one in in the in yeah. the first game. You don't have to do any of that. I think there is a section uh, where you do have to play Pazak, um, or it's highly encouraged that you play uh, Pazak yeah. um, at, at one point in the game. So so both of those things are back. Um, if you're if you're playing this game and if you're playing them back to back, it's going to throw you for a loop uh, because the gameplay is almost identical in every uh, sense of of the word, except for Obsidian moved the commands to the other side of the screen for some reason. Why didn't they leave them alone? Had to make their own mark, I guess. It, <laughs> yeah. Like drives me nuts for like the first like 10 minutes. I keep going to like the, the bottom right corner to do my commands, but everything's on the mm. left or vice versa. I don't remember which one it is, but yeah. So I think like, Kind of like looking at the Star Wars fandom, uh, I think the way KOTOR was written and received was kind of like The Force Awakens. It's a very uh, traditional cinematic hero's journey story. Um, yeah. KOTOR 2, the way it was written and received, uh, even though I would say like KOTOR 2 might be even more beloved than Knights of the Old Republic um it was kind of like the last jedi like i think people including me were just expecting the second story to be about revan kind of more of the same you know and just happy Mm -hmm. fun time save the galaxy and then it's like kotor 2 was not that um but i think yeah whereas revan is he safe is he all right yeah Mm -hmm. that's what kotor 3 is for you know like you'll get to see revan again i'm just kidding uh but yeah, what the Revan like, novel is for Cassia. Come on. Oh God. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. So it they're two very different stories. Sometimes like I feel guilty that I just the way my mind is. I prefer Kotor. Uh, I still love Kotor too. You know, but sometimes I feel a little embarrassed, like saying like, yeah, I like Kotor one more. You know, so it it's kind of gone through a a little bit of like a. It's had a little bit of a victory lap, like victory lap, like Kotor 2. 
Yeah. I guess that, that, that's kind of a theme with a lot of Star Wars, though. You know, every now and again, a bit of Star Wars drops that maybe divides fan opinion initially, or it's not what people maybe expected. And give it a bit of time, and it's got it. it sort of it, it. It it probably has a very loyal following even at the time it drops. But over time, appreciation for the thing grows, and I could I could absolutely see why maybe KOTOR 2 might have been a bit divisive at the time, but has probably picked up uh, a very, a larger devoted following in, in the years since. Yeah, definitely. And especially, you know, people who, um, I think I might've mentioned it at the top, but, you know, people that, you know, would have been like, like teenagers, uh, you know, playing this game maybe for the first time uh, now are, are adults and they can understand these themes better. Cause um, like I mentioned, I was in my mid twenties, so I could understand it kind of well enough, but if you were, you know, 13 years old and you say, okay, well, I'm done playing Halo. Let's play KOTOR 2. Mm-hmm. Like, like where, what, who is this lady? Why is she yelling at me? What's happening? What's going on? <laughs> so, so I think, yeah, as people have gotten a chance to revisit and it's so much easier to play now, you can, you know, fire it up on, like I said, on steam or, you know, however you want to do yeah. it. And it's got, you know, kind of those, those patches of a lot of that missing stuff, which helps really kind of flesh out the story and, and things like that. And I think, yeah, uh, like Cassie said, it's kind of, um, been revitalized in that way uh you know to a great extent and you know it, it's a it's a different story but it is i think it works really well um as a sequel to the first knights of the old republic i wish we would have gotten a kotor 3 uh yeah I, the ending to kotor 2 did feel abrupt uh and it kind of left a lot of question marks i it, it's a little frustrating that we never really got a KOTOR 3, but in a way, like, SWOTOR kind of inserted a KOTOR 3 into the narrative, but it didn't happen yeah. in the KOTOR era. It happened, like, 300 years later, and they yeah. just kind of were like, Revan's special, so he defied death. Okay, exile dead, though, that's okay. And everyone else just never looked for Revan the end, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. okay. I, I've played the Old Republic online RPG for about an hour. Um, I've got a long journey ahead of me with, with that. But but I know the story beats that you're talking about. Um, I, I've read enough and enough around um that to understand that and and I could tell from my first reading of the novel Revan several years ago that they were clearly drawing some kind of line some trying to join mm-hmm. a dot far yep. in the future um yeah. in, in terms of well, yeah it's a very strange way to end the Revan novel otherwise in terms of my own final thoughts on this game I definitely enjoyed it I enjoyed it at times, I enjoyed it more than my first playthrough of the first game, but I did find some of that sort of slightly disjointed nature of some of the story stuff, and that sense that maybe some of the story was missing, was a bit frustrating. Um, but I love the richness of the character stuff, and I love that extra tweak to the the character dynamics with the influence, etc. Um, all, all of that works really, really well um, for me. I really want to dive back in and have another playthrough now, actually, having spent some time thinking about it and and talking about it today. um, I don't know how I'll squeeze in another 35 to 40 hours of 
switch time um, <laughs> in, in the month or two ahead, but I'm going to try to find a way. So I think that's probably going to do us for today. Brian and Cassia, thank you again so much for joining me. It, it's been a pleasure once more. Um, why don't you tell the folks listening um, where they can get a hold of you, your podcast, and, and that great audio drama that you're working on? Yeah, so you can find the Old Republic podcast. Uh, I was going to say on Anchor, but I guess it's Spotify for podcasters now. Um, and like kind of everything under the umbrella. Uh, I guess it's not iTunes podcast. It's now just pod. Yeah, everything's changing their name. So I'm trying to be like, <laughs> this is where you can find us. But Basically, if you search Old Republic Podcast uh, on podcast apps or YouTube, you'll see like the ORP symbol icon logo with the Revan mask. Uh, you'll find us there. And uh, yeah, we are just finishing the video for part two of the audio drama. So it'll be out very soon. Uh, kind of looking at weeks, you know, and then we'll we'll uh start uh kind of getting part three scored so it's a it's very fun fantastic fantastic yeah yeah absolutely wherever wherever you're listening to this right now uh older public podcast is uh likely there so go ahead and give us a a follow and uh like all those uh, sorts of things if you want to connect with me directly i'm at astro underscore droid underscore on instagram um and yeah check those out like cassia said we've got the, the music's finished so we're just uh polishing up part two and that'll be out uh here in just a couple of weeks for the bastila audio drama so uh definitely want to make sure you uh find the the youtube channel or find the podcast uh the stream so you'll uh, be notified when that comes out so uh absolutely folks as i said last week uh there's lots of great stuff on the old republic podcast feed um deep dives into not only old republic stuff but uh works that inspired star wars uh discussions about things like the hero's journey all that good stuff so do check it out and of course you can find me on social media as at journals of the wills on instagram and threads and on Twitter as at Journals Wills, though mostly on Instagram. And of course, you can reach out to the podcast team on all the usual social media channels. And there you're looking for at SWBC Podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, myself, Chris and Dan will be having a catch up chatting about all the latest book related news. Canon Catch-Up returns also with Dan, Chris and Morgan chatting about middle grade novel Weapon of a Jedi, one of my favourites, so I am looking forward to listening to that one. And of course Legends Library will be back, completing this triptych of stories uh, with a novel that I know Cassia holds close to her heart. <laughs> it's the Revan novel by Drew Carpetian, so don't miss that one. Uh, in the meantime, folks, it's a goodbye from Cassia. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from Brian. All right. Thank you so much. And goodbye. Thanks, folks. And it's a goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, folks. And we'll catch you next time on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Mm -hmm.